All right. So um, welcome to Enough About Steve. It's a tribute to your former podcast, Enough About Me. Okay. And um, we're going to be doing a reverse Enough About Me. So I get to interview you. Um, I, I heard you're in a bit of a bad mood today. Um, I'm a bit annoyed too. Apparently you didn't want to do this live. Steve said to me you wanted to pre-record this. I think you're trying to trap Steve in a lie. I definitely did not say that. Well, he's, he sent me the message that, anyway, that's fine. I mean, I wanted to do it live and that's what well, does it matter way. either way. I mean, it's going to, I mean, I don't, I don't care either, but it's going to go up. I think we're, we have a bunch of, this is part of the problem. Yeah, yeah. Preload all these other shows. I think that's just the way it's going to be. I think. Fair enough. Um, Whatever, well, whatever, however you want to do, we can stop now and do it live another time if you'd like. I have no problem doing that. No, no, no. Let's, no, no, no. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on the show, Kirk. So it so sounds like that you wanted that live and you didn't get it live, right? Well, it's just that Steve so I think said some I may call that a loss. <laughs> well, I've exposed no? Steve so live. You would say I've got, I've got the not, text here that's of defeat, Steve saying you, you said you wanted to so do it pre recorded. You wouldn't so. be undefeated. Then at that point. No, no, I'm still undefeated. Suppose, I've trapped even uh, another lie. Suppose um, you're because well, people think you're afraid to go live with me. That's all. Who um, people? You mean like the, that one guy on Twitter who doesn't have a picture in his who he well, always like and retweet? Other than him, who else? There's a few others. There's a few others. There's a, you know Zonka, your good mate. Um, okay. I didn't, so I didn't realize that. Uh, so my cousin Derek used to go to your restaurant, huh? Yeah, exactly. We That's right. Cool. Yeah, That's we're right near. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I only I only twigged when he actually came in on the way um, to to the airport to go to your dad's oh, funeral. How did you know that, him? Well, uh, he paid with his card, so okay. had the last name, okay. and I didn't. And yeah, I just looked at him and went, "What Minahan?" Yeah, um, he's got the hairline, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, um, the small world, we're, we're mm. right in the lawyer area of Sydney. Right. Um, all right. So it's a, you know, I was, I was a huge fan of enough about me. Thank um, you. you know, I, I loved the way you interviewed people. I'm also fascinated with the craft of interviewing and, you know, I kind of used enough about me to kind of help teach myself how to interview people. I kind of taught myself how to do that in the last few years. And, okay. you know, I wanted to do a bit of a reverse enough about me on you, but kind of touch on different areas than you know you've kind of touched on in the past um okay. but, but the ultimate compliment i can pay to to your podcast enough about me was that you would interview people that i'd never heard of would have no real hook you know there was some media mm -hmm. guy from boston who gives a shit from some guy in sydney but right. you would draw the interesting and titillating details and and great stuff out of them that would make it interesting to me who who really shouldn't find it interesting hmm yeah, I you know, um, I looked at it as almost doing that, like uh, you know, a book that I read. That's what I liked about it. It was because it was a, something that I couldn't do on the old show. If there was a book I liked, it didn't matter to me if four people were reading it or four million people were reading it. I was I was personally interested. If I could, I would call the author up and just talk to him for twenty minutes driving home from work. So I figured, why not do it here and do it conversationally. And not do it in a, you know, I, I've heard some of these interviews where they say, oh, in chapter seven, you did this or that. I just wanted to talk to the guy the pro or the woman, the process of writing a book or the process of making a documentary or the process of interviewing somebody to me is more interesting than, than, than the final product itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I guess what was your process 
when you went into these interviews? What was your approach? You know, were you a big prep guy? Did you just go in and? Yeah, you know, just- I mean, it was it was weird. Like you know, <clears throat> when I would, if it was an author, for example, you know, I like to read book reviews almost as much as I like to read books. So uh, I'm just thinking of like I'm, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He was um. It was a book about a guy in Maine. I think his name was actually Christopher Knight, who was who who lived in Maine in the woods by himself for like thirty years. And the guy who wrote the book, I think, was Michael Finkel. And the author's story to me was interesting. He had gotten some trouble with making up some stuff or stealing. And so his story itself was almost more interesting to me than the book. So I read about him. I'd read a couple of stories, but you know, I would usually go in with three or four ideas, but then I find so often that they say something that if you're listening and you know, as you know, as an interviewer, that's the most important thing. And so many interviewers do, do not listen at all. If what you're listening, yeah, there you go. There's that quick wit that translates <laughs> over the ocean. Um, you know, if you're listening and you pick up on something, so oh, that's interesting. And then you go somewhere else and all of a sudden you're 18 minutes into an interview and you haven't even asked the first question that you thought you were going to ask. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you seem to have a natural sort of, um, flair for finding those titillating bits of conflict in people's lives when you're interviewing them, like drawing out the stuff that actually, you know, people want to hear about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I I bang on them all the time now, but Stern was the best interviewer. I guess he's still a really good interviewer, but he would do that. He would talk about, I even saw yesterday, the other day, I guess he had McCartney on and I saw some YouTube clips of it. He was talking to McCartney and he said, why didn't you just keep Harrison and Ringo around when Lennon left you guys. And I thought, Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, and Stern said, you know, Harris, did you not realize that George Harrison was as good as he turned out to be? And McCartney said, you know, I kind of didn't really. And it was an interesting answer because you've heard the fucking Beatles talk so many times, but it was a new angle still. And that's impressive to me. So you always have to look for that because, you know, 90% of these podcasts are filled with shitty interviews with the same people over and over and over. And then I, I have no interest in that bit like the YouTube channel this week. Um, (laughs) So also you're very fearless when it comes to interviews. You'll ask anybody anything. Has that always been a quality of yours? Um, I don't know. I've always been naturally curious. As a kid, I was a really, you know, voracious reader all the time. And I always had questions. My, I'm, you know, my, my dad would say, you know, even sort of, you know, the last 10 years or so, I'm not surprised because you would always ask question after question, after question, after question. So I guess that's always been there. I'm just kind of curious. And I'm so lucky now to have as my sidekick, somebody who matches my curiosity, if not tops it, a Mike Geary, one of the great thinkers (laughs) out there and somebody who you're just like, Mike, enough with the questions, enough with the ideas, enough with the curiosity. Can I have, may I have a slice of the pie, please? Settle down, Mike. I know. Yeah. Uh, and so when you were um, interviewing those people for Enough About Me, any that you really enjoyed, any that you look back on now going, glad I did that? Well, I mean, you know, you would have, you know, who was actually a good one. And it was, it was posted. It was that, I don't, I don't even know what it was. I don't, was it called Enough About Me when I left Dennis, when I left Kirk and Callahan and before I came here? Were those shows yeah. still called? They were. Okay. Yeah. So, um, it's true. I remember nothing about, like, I have no memory of my stuff. Uh, one of the last ones I liked was actually an interview with that woman, Jan Broberg from that wild Netflix documentary. The one was kidnapped by her neighbor and all, it was about an hour long interview and it was pretty good. Um, that guy, Mike Finkel, that author was good. I like the guy who wrote the Tiger Woods book. I talked to a guy who wrote a book about Rocky Marciano. Um, Patterson was pretty good. 
Yeah, uh, Patterson was pretty good on, you know, it was short, but it was pretty good. Um, um, John Krasinski was pretty good. Uh, I'm a big office guy, so I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was good. So, and so, like, you know, I, I get a guy like David Duchovny on, and um, and my old producer, Bed Kitchen, was really good. He was really good at booking guests, and it was like Duchovny had some. Like Dave. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, had some um, fucking, he was like, you know, he's a musician, so he's promoting some concert he was playing so you had to ask two questions about that i could tell he's bored and then i asked him about being on larry sanders and he lit up and because I, I love larry sanders and so when you're running this stuff like that and you kind of get somebody to come to life that's enjoyable that's enjoyable too and and you know, we haven't done a lot of interviews in our show but you know i certainly saw that with dice in the middle of it where he kind of woke up if you just pay attention you know things you get somebody on you're curious about usually it turns out okay sometimes it's a, it's a disaster yeah i love the craft of trying to do a good interview it's hard yeah, it is hard. Um, what, what about now the position you're in where, you know, it is hard for you to get guests. You can't do interviews. It's a combination of your uh, reputation and Barstool's. Um, not that I think the reputation's right. I think if people yeah. actually, but that's, you said it against Mayo. It's kind of the way you defined. Uh, right. Do you regret now being in that position where you, you can't do these long form interviews? Well, I said it to Mayo the other day. And the more I think about it, the more I guess I could. You know, I could tack on. I mean, we're prevented, I think, from getting on sort of the opposite side, you know, a, a liberal or a hardcore feminist or something like that. But, you know, I could get an author on. I could get a director on. I could get a writer on who I'm interested in and do it one-on-one -on -one for 40 minutes at the end of a show after all our advertising reads and say, listen, here's a bonus 40 minutes. If you don't like it, you know, you're done. Fuck off. We want, Listen to us tomorrow. Uh, if you want to hear me talk to a guy who just wrote a book that I really like, Give it a shot. So, I mean, I do think I'll do more of that. I mean, you know, we're doing whatever, 2.30, 2.45 a day, especially now where people are episodes behind. I think that might be tough. But going forward, I think it might be something I'm interested in because I do miss the I do miss that sort of, you know, exercising that muscle. I do miss that. Yeah, but you don't have to. I guess you don't have to do calls every show. You could bang, bang well, on them. A that's true, of, too. Yeah, that's true, too. Although, break. you know, I mean, that. but I think that also falls in that category. I've said that, like. All right, here's an hour 45. No one else is doing a podcast every day. There's nothing going on. We've done our thing for an hour 45. Here's the calls. If you if you don't like the calls, you're done for the day. You know, if you like the calls, stick around. And I do think the calls occasionally turn into something more interesting, and sometimes they suck. I mean, you, you've you dealt with it. I mean, you know, um, I would never tell people to call you with any particular message or anything. No, that's not, not the way I play ball. No. I, I don't think that's appropriate. But, you know, when sometimes you get a call and you're just in, in it's so boring and they don't shut up. And Steve, for some reason, Steve is afraid to hang up on a caller on his own. He's afraid to, I think, get me upset. And that's a good insight. That's why I think you agree, Menders. He's the best producer in the business. Yeah, mm. yeah he, he's very good at pushing buttons. That's for sure. Yeah, he's an honorable guy. He's a man of his word. Yeah. Honorable guy. Mm -hmm. um, lovely couple, too. Him and Matt Carano. Behind is that me. who that is back there? Yeah, it's yeah, the doctor picture of which, um, uh, Steve, which Matt. was that a rest stop? Was that New Hampshire? Maybe yeah, it was it was right near Schultz's farm or whatever it is where they got that dumb fucking dog. Um, all right, so uh, let, let's go back a bit. I want to let's go back enough about me style. Um, you know, when I hear you talk about your childhood, um, I get the feeling that your your dad was sort of tough old school kind of um on you like he yeah. not in not in a uh, like beating no. you up but you know he no, no, no. had old school values and you know that was balanced out by you know your mom that was soft and 
dealt yeah. with her mental illness struggles. Is that a yeah. sort of fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, I think I pay my dad sometimes with a brush. It's not quite there. He was, he was raised by a dad who was really, you could be physically abusive and was an alcohol, severe alcoholic. And, um, and I think my dad tried to learn from that and do better. He was also, you know, I always forget, you know, I think about this. I'm 45 now. So my dad was, what was he? 60. So he was, you know, when, uh, when I was, uh, when he was 45, I was probably, yeah, I was 20, I think, or 22. So they were young, but you know, he did the best he could and he got better as he got older and understood things. He did, he, he was sort of had this thing where at the beginning where mental health was this, you know, get over it, fight through it. You know, you don't, he just didn't understand. And I think mm -hmm. as he got older, he saw things happen to me, uh, particularly in high school. And then going forward, he really understood that. And then when my kids were born, he really became you know, really, really, he, ch he changed. I mean, he he just was a different guy and it was great to see in the, the last couple of years. And my mom was, yeah, my dad was the disciplinarian and my mom was the, we ran to her and we ran away from him kind of thing. And it seems like your dad pushed you pretty hard and I can see it come through now. You got a very good work ethic and you, although, you know, you, you've earned good money, you still seem to understand the value of a dollar. And, mm -hmm. you know, it seems intrinsically in you, that sort of work ethic. Well, I worked, you know, I worked, I had jobs all through high school. Like I didn't, you know, I joke around about being this rich kid, but I worked in the summers. I worked sometimes during the school year. I would be, you know, I also do. So, I mean, that was there. My dad was not, yeah, my dad had an unbelievable work. I mean, he would work hundred hours a week at his job. He would have a, I remember going to visit him at the office one day and there was a sleeping bag in his office and he, sometimes he slept there when the weather wasn't great or they had a late night and they had an early call with Hong Kong or whoever the next day. I don't know. He would have, he'd go take a shower and then start putting another suit on and go to work. He'd go to work in blizzards. He'd do, I mean, that's just the way he was. And I, I'm lucky that he passed that on to me. And sometimes I do within the show, you know, again, I, it's not gonna be a pile on Mike show, but I do think I don't know if work ethic is a is a something you can acquire as you get older. You know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I worry about that with my kids too. I just. I. I don't know. You know. I. I don't know. If I think if you learn. find something you love, you can. You that's get. true. Yeah, that's true. But it's hard. You know, and this is not a like this is not coal mining. But you know, there's even stuff we're kind of working on now. Potentially for the next week or two, we have something cooking, and it's going to take a lot of work. And you know, I, we don't need to do that. Nobody's asking us to do that, but we're doing it. You know. And and you know, as the sort of money rolled in and your dad was quite successful, it sounds like he still managed to sort of shelter you and your brothers from being sort of spoiled and, you know, just yeah, losing perspective. Yeah, but yeah, yes, but yet at the same time, you know, you don't, you know, you don't really you have nothing to compare it to, but I, it was, it was, you know, not a difficult childhood. We didn't want anything, so you didn't really, oh, yeah. that, but we yeah. weren't, you know, we weren't, we didn't you know, we weren't traveling around all the time. We weren't doing this. We weren't doing that. We didn't belong. And some kids get everything they want. I mean, that, you know, some yeah. kids ask me, they get everything they want. Yeah. And I never understand hearing no. Right. And it's hard because you want your kids to have stuff. So I, it's a balance I have now just sort of in my own life and having some success where you can do that, but you also have to say, you know, no Kate, no Harry, no, this is not how it works. You got to do this. You got to do that. But you know, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a balance. I still work on and you know, I don't, I don't, uh, envision it getting any easier as they get older i'm sure no um and so on on your mum's struggles as as you were growing up 
I mean, you've told about her sort of staying in a room and not being able to get out of, um, you know, bed and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I can empathize with that. You know, I've had family members struggle with similar things. Um, was, was that a big part of the characterization of your childhood? Like, you know, do you feel yeah. that that struggle did have a big influence on you? And maybe he's coming through now while you're so open with it on air. Maybe. I, you know, I think about a more, again, it's sort of, like I said, sort of the only childhood I had, so I don't have anything to compare it to. And it wasn't like she would be in bed for a month or anything, but it was, she had this weird thing where she was afraid to, at one point, afraid to leave the driveway and leave the house. And you'd have to, I remember as a kid, like as a sort of as a teenager, thinking it was kind of funny and trying to drag her over and she'd be freaking out and I'd be laughing. And now I think, Jesus Christ. Or, you know, one time we went to, we were going to go to Disney and um, with my uncle and not my dad's sister and her family. And at the airport, she was freaking out, but I didn't really understand as a kid why she was freaking out, but she didn't want to get on the plane. She was legitimately having this crazy attack. And my dad basically, you know, we forced her on the plane and we went, but there were, and there were times where she would just kind of be sullen and not talk a lot for long stretches. And, you know, <clears throat> she would get very down and, and uh, you know, um, and I could feel that arriving uh, for me just about my teenage years. And I thought, you know, and I think my mom felt very, really bad and guilty. And I worry about that too, but you know, it's just, it's all over her side of the family. You know, it really is. My dad's side of the family is Irish and they don't talk about that stuff, but it's there too. It's every, I mean, you know, it's everywhere, uh, but yeah, I mean, it definitely is definitely affected me for sure. And, and like, did you understand then? Because I found it as a teenager when my dad started to go through struggles with mental illness and my sister, I was, I couldn't understand from a, you know, a young man's perspective, why, you know, you have good money, you have a nice family, you have all this stuff and, you know, you, you want to commit suicide. Like I, I, I could never understand that at that age. Right. Um, and yeah, did you, at that age, did you kind of comprehend it? Um, are you wearing your nipple ring or no? Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, good. I just want to make sure before you, because if you're going to ask serious questions like that, I, do you have your top nipple ring in for this interview or no? Uh, just one. Um, it, and Harry, mean, your Harry's, not, Harry's not going to walk through that door behind you. Is he? <laughs> I don't, well, I know you're Harry. Harry. I decided to keep him away. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of like, yeah, a little bit. And that's sort of my, that was my dad's thing. He would say, you know, you you know, you're the, you're, you're, you're doing well in school. You've got a lot of friends. You're a good basketball player. You're, you know, this, you're that, I don't know. Like, you know, you're a funny kid. People like what's going on. Why, why stop acting like this? Get, you know, get over it, get out. And, and I didn't, and it wasn't like I was, you know, I was, I would have been happy to get over it. I didn't understand why I was feeling the way I did. I'd wake up some mornings and, and feel like, you know, like it does now sometimes where you it's, it's, it's hard. Um, but now I, I know it so well, it's kind of, part of my it's been just a companion for me my my whole life but back then it was just this mysterious weird thing my mom didn't want to talk to me about it because she'd get upset because she felt guilty and there was that layer and then we'd go to the therapist and and you know i there were ther the first few therapists i really didn't like um so it took a while but yeah i didn't really think of it ever as geez you know i'm you know i i have some family money why do i feel this way um but of course the reality is because i had family money i could go get this looked at whereas there's so many families who don't who you know i mean there's you know some kid in rural west virginia 
you know, whose dad makes $18,000 a year. If, if he has severe depression, there's a good chance that he's just got to fucking suck it up. You know? Yeah, some kid in Dexter, Maine can't get his mental health sorted out. No, that one sure. never, that's, well, that's much deeper and sexual, <laughs> and there's a lot of issues going on there. Many, many, many issues. The two things I think come through in your radio or your podcast now from your childhood. One is that story where you, and you alluded, uh, where you, you rung your mum and you said her mum had been in a car accident as a joke. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, to me, that is cruel, but it's also, I can see that, you know, coming through now. And the other one is, I often get the feeling when you're playing around with either Mike or Steve or even, you know, shithead minifans or mincells, it's right. like you being the big brother and what you do to Adam and Ryan to, mm-hmm. to drive them crazy. Is that, sure. what you, is that true? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's sort of that dominant, like I don't, I've talked about this, like, you know, everyone's like, I want some, well, not everyone. There are people who like, I want Mike to be more like Jerry or I personally don't have any interest in that anymore. Like I want to be the not the king but i want this to be my show and i call the shots like i'm not interested in i'm just not interested in being a little brother anymore i did it it was fine it was good i'm now successful and i'd rather just fuck around with people and i mean they can fuck around back i don't care about that but yeah i mean i like breaking you know people's balls for sure it's fun yeah i mean i still remember my mom freaking out and she drove down to the thing i mean she drove she got like i think about this now she drove down in her car thinking her mother was dead. I mean, what a fucking <laughs> asshole. I mean, that is just your yeah, mother with so, depression. That's so totally a healthy woman couldn't have handled that. No, and real yeah. issues with and she had some issues with her mom. She loved her, but there was so there's that. I'm sure she was thinking, you know, that's so from my parents' house to down to Winchester Center would have been six minutes. That must have been ter- and then she sees me on the corner and just laughing and must have thought, what? I mean, what? But she was good at like. She would, she would, she would then laugh about it. She was good like that. With, with my dad, he had no, he had a sense of humor, but he had no sense of humor about shit like that. I mean, none, she, none, none, yeah. none, none, none. She'd laugh about it and stay in bed for two days. That's true. Um, yeah. right, right. Probably gave her an answer. <laughs> but I guess you must have driven um, your brothers crazy. I mean, I mean, I know they've had their issues. That you kind of helped. What's, having what's you as a big brother, having you as a big brother, must have been terrifying for your brothers yeah i mean with ryan it was weird because ryan's a lot younger than i am 10 years younger but we were closer for a long time than i was with adam who was in between adam and i were more i think he was he you know got sick of it well ryan i kind of molded um but yeah i mean i could really but but there was such an age difference between me and ryan that we weren't by the time he was in his formative years i wasn't around i was okay i mean you know we're on with mike tomorrow night i maybe michael follow up and there were some horror stories, but it wasn't too bad. I thought we got along pretty well. We kind of were bonded in fear of my father. And, you know, and we used our bond to kind of make fun of my mom. Those were sort of the two themes of our youth, I think, now that I look back on it. Sounds healthy. Very healthy. Well, I mean, you know, we got through it. We got through it. <laughs> okay. So, you, you know, you went to school on the in Winchester, was it? You, you went to, you grew up in the main streets of Winchester. Yeah. Now you left school, uh, you went to college. Where did you go to college again? I was in New York in college, yeah. And what did you study at, at college? English literature. English literature. Okay, so that's like Bachelor of Arts or something. Right. And um, was it was there any pressure from your dad at this stage to do a real degree or? No, 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 no. He was happy. He was just happy. I was, I mean, I had, I had um, um, really had severe you know, a severe depressive issue um, um, after my senior year in high school. So I think they were just happy I was alive at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but I do think they thought, you know, I was going to be, if not a screw up, certainly an underachiever in life, uh, you know, 
until I got the job at EI.com where, and then things sort of took off because I was flounder. I mean, I did writing and I did freelance and I worked at upper deck and I was just trying to cobble together a living, but I certainly was not, you know, uh, you know, I, I, if you had said to me, you're going to be an editor at WEI.com, maybe do some writing and make whatever a year for the next 20 years. I was signed on that in 2009, right there. I, you know, and I you would have done what Bradford did. <clears throat> I might have, I, but you know, I always had that, that that sort of sarcasm that doubt and that drive where i was not satisfied even when i started there i was like well i could i could do radio i could do it i'm better than these guys i'm better than these guys and i pestered rob who pestered the producer who put me on and i kept pestering 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 and once i got a taste of it and i knew i was good at it i thought well let's keep doing it okay um but let's go back because i don't want to skip ahead to the good so you're at college um even now have you ever had you ever thought you know when you're 18, 19, 20, you want to get into radio. Was it ever in your brain as a young man? I really actually thought for a while, like when I was like, would do play by play for sports when I was in high school. I thought that was my ultimate, right. I thought that was gonna be my ultimate thing, like Bob Costas or somebody like that. Um, But not really. I kind of wanted to write, you know, and and once, yeah. So no, I mean, I, I knew good radio and bad radio. I listened to Stern a lot. And sure made fun of bad radio a lot. And I would listen to bad radio and laugh at it. Even in my early 20s, I knew what was bad and what was good. Um, I was always critical of it. I'd talk to Rob or I'd talk to people I knew about EEI. When I was living in California, I was finally online at that point. And I worked with a couple of guys from Boston with always shit would say, Jesus, fucking Ordway is ancient. You know, get rid of him. Why does he have this guy on? Why does he have that guy on? We talked about like we talked about sports teams. Or why is John Dennis and Jerry Callahan? Well, they're fucking old. They suck. Da, 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 da. Dale Arnold. You know, it's amazing. Most of those people are still around, but precursor um, to your podcast, and they, yeah, and they were old then. So uh, um, I knew, I knew that I, I knew even in my brain because I would talk to people and I would talk not even just about sports, but about movies and TV. And I knew I could do it, but I didn't think there'd ever be a place for me to do it. Mm. I imagine between all the masturbating, you quite enjoyed the English literature degree. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah, it was good. Yes, yeah, it, it was a solid uh, masturbatory degree. Um, <laughs> You know, it led to nothing. I mean, it was a complete. Sh- I would have honestly been better off learning a trade and being an electrician. It'd be much less stressful, I think. Mm. I mean, I don't. Think I did. Of- I did a similar degree, so I can empathize. Yeah, I, mean, um, I don't think any electricians have their own. You know, ninety-seven shows they have to worry about satisfying on their YouTube channel or fucking, <laughs> fucking babies on social media. Um. So, you, so you finished college. Uh, what What did you do straight after college? You know, I you went to California. Know. I went to California okay. to uh, to try and be a screenwriter, and it was a, a complete failure. It was fun for a couple of years, but it was a total failure. And um, and in California, were you waiting tables? Were you a, a bartender? Yeah, you know, a little bit of that. Worked at some bookstores. I find um, that amazing to think of you like doing those jobs because crazy. Of- but I mean, you know, you're a kid and you're hustling, and you know, I took no money from my parents at that point. None. I was living. Um, I don't know if you've heard me. Call my buddy Matt Quinn a couple of times on the show. Uh, one, my buddy, yes, Jim I listen Rousseau. to every show. Yep, thank you. That's what host. I, f- I was up at five this morning, so I could listen to what time is it now? Show. It's uh, nine thirty in the morning, Saturday. Okay, thank you. Dedicated. So, um, so uh, I moved out there. My buddy Jim Russo was already living out there. He said, "You know, you can move out here. Um, you can live with us in the valley." Uh, we don't have a bed. You can stay on our couch in the, in the TV room. And I said, sure. So I stayed in the couch for two or three months in LA in the fall. It was a hundred degrees in the Valley every day. We had no AC. It was a complete shithole, uh, but it was great. We had a great, it was a great, great time out there. But you know, I knew right away that I was not built 
because even then would see these guys who I thought were old, who were like 38 years old. They've been out there 15, 20 years trying to become writers and getting no breaks. And I thought, well, these guys are probably just as good as I am, if not better. It's all luck. So I get, I mean, I get to figure out something else to do. And that's why I started doing some freelance stuff, sports writing, even for Bradford, which turned into, you know, a semi half a career until I cobbled the other stuff to go to the upper deck and then to go to the, uh, I, I can imagine there'd be a few things that LA wouldn't gel with you. The, the the sort of sucking up to everybody to try and get anything I can imagine would frustrate you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I kind of surround myself with a small, pretty decent group of friends, like good guys. There's a lot of these coast people out there too. So you could find that and, you know, so it was okay. And it wasn't like I was hanging out and with, in, you know, on Sunset Strip and I wasn't hanging out with stars or anything. I mean, it was a life of, you know, but close to poverty, uh, you know, for out there, which was fine. When you're a kid, you know, as long as you get enough to get have dinner, have a hamburger and a couple of beers and, you know, do it. A lot again. of people would think Peter, though, was, you know, wiring you whatever money. No, you wanted, I, mean, I was, I could tell you, I was, I remember he came to visit me. He was out there on business one time. He came to, swung by the place to pick me up. He went out to dinner and he went in there. He said, what, this is where you live? I said, yeah, this is the couch. <laughs> and it doesn't pull out or anything. I would sleep on this, one of those couches that were, that were, not even leather. It was that shit that at night it was you'd be sweating on it, and it was always fall, the, the 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 things were always falling off. But you know, when you're a kid, you don't really care. No. Now yes. I do it. Now if I walked in there for thirty seconds, I would walk out. I, I would. I'd get sick. But you know, it was a different time. And and wh- why why do you think it didn't work out for you in LA? Do you think you just weren't a good enough writer? Was that what no, it came down I, to? I mean, no, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think I was particularly great screenwriter or anything. But I, I think. I think a lot of it is luck. And I think a lot of it is you have to stay in there and hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there for your break. I mean, I could still be out there now, you know, like my buddy, Jim, who I moved out, who moved out there before me is still out there, but he became a teacher. He's a high school teacher. Now and he does some writing on the side and he's still, he'll do a script and send it out and hope he gets a break. And if it happens great, if it doesn't, you know, he was smart enough to do that where I, you know, a lot of guys are still bartending or, or doing whatever. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a, it's an unbelievable, it's total luck. I mean, it's, it's just, it's complete luck. And back at this time, were you quite um, sort of volatile, volatile is not the word, but even now you like to stir up things wherever you are, whether yep. it's, you know, on the radio, your podcast, wherever, wherever you are, were you like that then, you know, even if you go in, as, you know, as a, a job, the normal kind of job, you always kind of talking shit. And because one thing I learned from you is that, you know, off air, I talk shit about people all the time. And mm-hmm. one thing I learned from you is it's entertaining. Actually, just bring that on air. I mean, just sure. be, be yourself on air. So was that you even back then? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, hang out with guys and doing stuff like that. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be a thing where if somebody talked shit about somebody else, I'd bring it up in front of them like I might now. But yeah, I mean, I, I was just always curious. I thought, you know, things were funny that <clears throat> situations were funny, uh, but I didn't think about it like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I mean, I, I, like, you know, but yeah, I mean, I found that stuff always interesting. I was not like a, a fighter really, but I would like to break people's balls and they would break mine. And you find the right guys you can do that with. I mean, that's when our show was at our best when the three of us are laughing and making fun of something or we we're fine. Something we pick on making fun of each other. Um, you know, Steve sure, in particular. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, usually they're Steve, the best. For sure, yeah, the best Glenn shows. Lucas. Yeah. So you, you had a crack at LA, um, and you, so you'd already started working for EEI writing. Um, how how, when, how and when did you meet Bradford? I met Bradford. Um, hmm. I met Bradford in we 
coached basketball together and then we kind of communicated back and forth and he you know rob for all my i have issues with rob i love rob i hate rob i love rob i hate rob he was a hustler way back then even you know he was one of these guys who was working at um you know um like the glossier daily times these small if you know massachusetts these small local newspapers and he would call up EI and say hey i i, I could do the big show or i can do a weekend um, and he was always, uh, you know, the Herald would come. He'd always write, he'd say, the Herald, I can work for you guys. I can work for you guys. He started his own syndicate service back then when, you know, and I've seen the early Kirk Min guy post some of my stories where, you know, he would call, you know, a newspaper and say, hey, I know you don't have the money to cover this road game, but I'll, I'll cover it for you. We'll, we, you know, you pay me whatever and pay me 30 bucks. And he and I would just write it from his house. We'd, we'd have, we'd find some guy on the phone. He'd call us with a box score and we'd make up a story around it. Um, so, you know, we always, and then he does, this, he does the same thing now. So he does. The same thing. So he, um, he wound up, you know, in the big show rotation, the big show was the radio show in Boston with Glenn Ordway and they'd have a third yeah. guy day, like we later did. And, um, I did have two guys in actually with Glenn and Rob found his way in there. He was at the Herald and found his way in that mix and then became friends with a guy named Tim Murphy. And Tim Murphy was a digital guy and said, hey, I want to start WEI.com and I want you to be the guy to do it. His initial thing was he wanted Rob and I think Tony Maserati to do it together. Um, Maz wound up getting the job at 98.5. So Rob did that. And when Rob got that, he called me and said, hey, would you want to do some editing for me um, for the site and do some, you know, random, not even columns, blog posts. And I said, fuck, yeah, of course. And he said to me, I think I told this to Mayo the other night. So listen, this is not, you're not going to do radio. This is not a radio thing. You're going to do this. This is it. And I said, sure. Okay. I did it um, and did some writing. And then, you know, <clears throat> Rob said, you can do some columns if you want some opinion stuff. And it got a decent reaction from back then. Um, and then, you know, weekend, then uh, Rob was doing a show with Mike Manansky, Mutt, on the weekends. And one day Rob couldn't do it. And great show, by the way. Great show. Tremendous show. And Rob said to me, you want to fill in for me with Mutt? And I said, sure. And we did it. And Mutt and I became friends right away. Um, and I started doing stuff with him on weekends. And that's kind of where I really started. That would have been late 08, early 09, maybe. I forget. 09? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Long time ago. Now that I think about it. Yeah. And and so just on Rob, um, I know you've had your issues with him since falling out at AEI. And it does highlight something that seems very important to you, which is loyalty is a, a quality you cherish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, more than seemingly a lot of other qualities. Yep. Why is that? Um, where does that come I, from? What's that? Where does that come from? I don't know where it comes from, but I know, you know, like with Rob, he did a lot for me at the beginning of my career. Um, and then my, I try to repay that. I've told the story by literally going into a meeting. Tim Murphy called me in and said, I want you to run WEI.com. I was already hosting a morning show a successful one. And he said, I want you to, to just run it. You don't have to do, you'll we'll have people working for you. They'll check in with you. Um, we'll pay you this much more. Um, but we want to get rid of Rob. And I said, I'm not doing that. And I said, if you get rid of Rob, I said, you can have a problem with me just hosting the radio show. We're going to have a real issue and talk these guys into saving Rob's job. And I felt like I owed that to Rob because he did a lot for me. Um, and then when the, the worm turns two years later or whatever, and Rob, doesn't do something like that. I take that very personally. Where it comes from, I don't know, but there's this thing right here where I get, it gets very tight and I get very angry. I was just, you know, and I get angry to the point where I go way past the point of return. And I've done that with Rob. I've done that with Jerry. 
you know, to the point where I can't be friends with those guys anymore um, ever again. And that's, you know, I mean, that's, it's, it sucks. I mean, you know, those are two of my five best friends probably on earth, you know, in the last 20 years and they're gone. I mean, they're just gone. They're out of my life. Yeah. I'm, I can I see what you're saying about, um, you know, the sort of, you did it for Robin. He didn't, did it, didn't do it for you. Um, I guess from the outside, I sort of think of it as that uh, Rob probably could not get another job. I mean, if he was booted out of EI.com, he would likely be unemployed for, yeah. forever. Well, it's a tough time in the business. And I do understand that. Um, and he doesn't have probably, I don't think he has the savings that you might have. No, he doesn't have the talent either. And he doesn't have, no, the, obviously yeah, yeah. And, he um, have the, and he doesn't have the initiative and he doesn't have the um, balls. I hate to say balls, but whatever it is, you know, yeah. sort of thing where, you know, I mean, if, 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 if while we're talking right now, if I get a call from Eric and Ardini, she said, Hey, listen, you know, we got to move on. I'd say, you know, well, okay, thanks for everything. And I'd start something else. You know, you, you can't, what do you sit around all day? You know, it's like if you have faith in yourself, you have faith in your abilities and you know, you can do something. I don't think Rob, I don't think Rob thinks he can. And I think those instincts are correct. Mm. So, yeah. That, that's no, why, that's right, why I think probably, was, so rationally, you're probably right where I should say, Hey, you know, I get it, Rob, but I don't, I, you know, we were so close and he was so it's, it, it it's hard for me when he goes on a show like Greg Hill, where he would tell me how much that show sucks and go on and say how great the show is. I mm. just have, that's a me. That's way more a me issue than a Rob issue. Way more. I I do understand that. Yeah, I get it. I've had. I've got friends who I never talk to anymore because right. It sucks. Loyal. It's not good. You know. No, but you got to have principles. That's what I tried to tell John from Scranton. Um. So, <laughs> so you, you you get that chance on on the air at EEI. Did you see? You know, like okay, the doors open a little bit. I'm gonna really. I'm gonna crash through this door and take my chance. Did Did you have that in your brain at that stage i thought well like, what what point are you talking about here well like when you know uh, rob you filled in for rob you know you did oh, a couple okay. of weekend things and you're like i'm sure. not bad at this yeah. did you think okay i'm gonna take the ball and run with it well what i promised myself before i started was i i said i'm going to talk like i talk off the air as best i can and then if there are things that are going on that i as a listener didn't like to hear while i'm in studio i'm gonna say why are we doing this if it was a bad call, I would never listen. These guys would never say, why, why are we taking these shitty calls? And I would say, why are we taking these shitty calls? Or why are we doing this boring segment? Nobody cares about this. We're dying on the vine. You know, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Um, and at the beginning, you know, you do have to play ball a little bit. And and I was, you know, smart in that I didn't go too far. I would do some stuff. Jason Wolf would call me in and say, why would you do this? Why would you do that? Um, you know, <clears throat> but then I would do, do, you know, a sporty show. And then leave me alone for a week or two, but I picked my spots and I do think, and I, I've heard a lot of people, which is nice. Say, Oh, I listened to Kirk 10 years ago. And I, I, and I realized, Oh, this guy's different than everybody else. Because I think I did try to do that as best as I could while trying. I mean, if I acted back then, like I acted eight years later, they would have never put me on the air on the weekends. They would have said, this guy, what are we doing? He's not, he's too dangerous. He's not worth it. You have to put yourself in a position where you become so valuable that they can't do anything about it. Yeah, it sounds like you gradually built up to it. I mean, yeah, t- yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't start off menace to midnight style first show because then you'll never be no, on air again. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, look, you know, I understand that I've been, um, um, uh, when it comes to wardrobe stuff, I've been a bit of a, a dictator. But from a content perspective, I don't think I've said to you, don't say this or don't. I haven't. I don't know if Steve has. No, no, not at all. Steve's, yeah. um, 
surprisingly supportive um, for yeah, an arsehole. You, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do. Trust me, I do. Sure. <laughs> That's great. Now, so you're at EEI. Uh, I don't want to go over the whole EEI thing. It, it's, Thank you. you know, it's been done a million times, but there are a couple of things that did I wanted to ask you sure. about. Uh, I, you know, I think it takes a fucking huge kahunas to go on live radio in Boston and be so open about your mental illnesses, be so open about the death of your parents. I mean, so many hosts would not take that stuff on air. It uh, might come out you know, later on as a little newspaper article or something, but they just wouldn't have the, the guts or the ability to talk about those very personal issues on air. So I guess you know, how were you able to do that? Why did you do it? Why, you know, why do you want to tell thousands of people about your struggles and you know what happened to your parents i didn't it didn't feel difficult to me ever the, the only time if you listen to if you go back and listen to the show where i talk about uh going to mclean and the trains and stuff in that segment i sound very uh scared and nervous and kind of that's the only one um the stuff of my parents was you know i knew Every because you know, people would say, Oh, I lost my mom, I lost my dad, I lost, oh, you know, my dad's sick. I knew everyone was going through it. So I thought, well, that's something everybody can relate to. And it's and it's and Jerry had lost both of his parents too, and he was in the room with me. So it was just something that Jerry and I would talk about all the time anyway. So it was sort of that same philosophy. You know, if it's not different than, you know, during the break, Jerry would say to me, geez, you know, Dale show sucked yesterday. Then we'd come back to the air and I'd say, Why do you think Dale show sucked yesterday? And we talk about it's not really because then during the break, Jerry would be like, Oh, I gotta go, you know, I gotta bring my dad to Dana Farber. My mom's still, you know, she doesn't recognize me anymore. Da, da, da. And we just kind of brought that over to the air. And I thought, and I was I remain amazed more so with the mental health stuff. I mean, I get, you know, I don't know, maybe still 50 emails a week or you know, messages a week from people who go through it. Um you know, a month or so ago it was a couple of hundred, you know, a day. So, and I try, I do try to reach out to all of them. And once in a while I correspond with them still going forward, if they're going through a tough time, it's easier, I think for them to reach out to me because I'm not really somebody they know in a weird way. That's easier. Cause I know there's no, I have no hang. I don't have any, I'm not making any judgment or anything. You've got your thing going. And there are people who are, have it much tougher than me. Um, and then sometimes I think I've got my own shit going on. You know, I got my life. Why am I answering, you know, 60 fucking messages from these people? Fucking insane. So, you know, but yeah, it just, it felt natural for me to talk about it. I wanted to talk about it with my parents and with the mental health stuff. It was therapy. Good for the writings. Good for the writings. Good as well. for the ratings too. We always, yeah, my parents died in the summer book, which was unfortunate, but you know, and the same with the, the same with McLean action. I think about it. I mean, big bonus regardless you get you know advertising bonus yeah we got plus, the, plus the inheritance a windfall yes. for you well what yeah. a summer between the lawyers and the taxes you'd be surprised you'd be surprised yeah. 30 million <laughs> go away just like that it's unbelievable yeah I, and i guess you must understand but if you are so open the way you are it does build a deep connection with people in your audience i mean mm -hmm. i found that period uh, you know, with your the whole period where you and you lost both your parents, Jerry lost his was it his mother, his all mom, within yeah, a yeah, few yeah. months or something. Yeah. I found that whole few months of radio very powerful, sure, uh, because you guys were so open, and it does build a relationship that you know you're not going to get just talking normal stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my my dad died May fourth, um, 
we had the wake the following Monday. Um, and then the Monday after that, Jerry called me and said his mom, his dad had died the, the a year before that. He said actually with my mom, she she had essentially Alzheimer's. Um, and she'd had an accident, she'd fallen down or something. I think Jerry's got it already. <laughs> All time, that is. I think he's had it for years. Uh, he called me and said, uh, you know, something happened to my mom. He's, he's driving there. Da, da, da. And I said, well, call me back whenever. He called me back an hour later and said, she's gone. And then um, we had, yeah, obviously they buried her. Um, and then my mom died a few weeks later. So, yeah, there was a lot of that. And, I mean, I've said this, like, you know, I, I, he told this to me. You know, the first person he called after talking to his brothers and sisters who were there, I think, was me. And he's the first person I called after my both my parents died. I mean, we were had an incredibly – we talked – we would talk eight times a day. We would text a hundred times a day over the course of years. And that's to have that ripped out of your life is not, a, not like a, not like a death, but it's, it's a weird void. So when people say, Oh, you know, two years from now, Jerry and I would be friends again. And people are going to say, geez, you bear it. But you know, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to shake. We went through a hell of a lot together, you know, uh, before he fucking, you know, sold me out mm. that's a whole sounds thing. like sounds like you and mhb have a great texting relationship though yeah right? yeah oh the fuck that was about <laughs> jesus christ uh you've you've spoken about you come off air and you'd sometimes get that pit in your stomach that kind of you know regret or whatever and actually after one or two minutes to midnight i've had that feeling i haven't had oh, it very often uh do you, do you get that feeling anymore or gone way past that you know thank god well that's the beauty of not being an ei anymore that's the beauty of barcelona that's not I told Mayo there's a couple of things I miss. I do miss the immediacy of like if Mike had walked out, if it was the Kirk Minahan show on radio and Mike walked out live during a show, it would be all over Twitter right away. Here, it sort of trickles all because people are listening at all different times and all different things. So that happens. Um, so I miss that a little bit, um, but I don't miss the feeling of, oh, geez, did I, you know, it's, it's not even like you regret making a dumb joke. It's more, am I going to have to be on a fucking conference call with these pussies? And salespeople are going to bitch and moan and merchants get this advertiser to pull out because I said he instead of she for somebody who recently transitioned by mistake. And they find it and they're mad at the producers letting it go through. And then you have to talk about it and talk about it and figure it out. Did Murchison, did he call, that's, that is gone now. I, I do the show. I do whatever I want. People like some of the shows. People hate some of the shows. I do react to that. I take that personally, of course, but I understand that they do. Um, and then I go home and then I do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. That is, that is the best part of it. I mean, that, that, that part of it is totally gone. I remember talking to Jerry when we were still talking and Jerry's like, yeah, we, you know, my, my consultant doesn't think we should use the word cunt at all. It's going to hurt us with appetite. <laughs> I thought, well, okay. I don't know. I, I, I might've used that word a few times on your YouTube that's channel. Fine. Well, that, that's a, that's a permissible <laughs> word. There's some words that aren't, we know that, but like, I don't worry about those conversations. Dave gave me no rules at all. None, 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 none that I can think of anyway. I guess the one thing you touched on there is that a live broadcast has an energy that a podcast doesn't, that kind of um, momentum or something. Guess, you know. Yeah, but the energy in the room for me is still the same. It's more the reaction in the moment to it where everybody sort of congregates together. I mean, we could, we've talked about doing it in some sort of live format. It doesn't matter to me enough to do it yet that might be the next step a couple of years from now maybe but i also think i don't know you know if i'm doing it live i don't think most of the audience is going to listen to it live honestly they they consume it at all different times of the day and i mean i talk to people who listen to the same episode three four times so i listen to a lot twice yeah people seem to really a problem 
yeah, people seem to like it. So, you know, it's working. And you consider with what I'm working with, and the shows is it's good. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's, it's one it's one of the great miracles in modern history. It really I, is. I know. I'm not, I've said it. I said it from the beginning. I mean, said, if, if, if Mike and Steve went away tomorrow, right, and you had Matt and someone there tomorrow, mm -hmm. show right. would be great. I mean, it just yeah, wouldn't matter. Of course. I mean, no, I mean, you think you think Steve was his personality with fucking Howie Carr? No, and he's the, the zero personality. You ever listen to Mike by himself? You know, you yeah, I used to, to listen. I used to listen to all that stuff, actually, right. trash talk, and we listen to Mike with Shane Gillis. I just heard some of it. Holy shit! Um, all right, so just before we move on from EI, two things from there. Firstly, uh, and it started at EI. You were you seemed to get triggered by hypocrisy uh, in the media. Um, you know what? Why? Well, I'm curious why. It seems like, I, from my point of view, I just think that hypocrisy is rife in society. Except that, but for you, it seems to really bug you. Well, if you notice, for me, it really picked up though when the globe started going at me, mm. and that's when I became, you know, more interested in. And it came went all the way back to 2013 with that Callum Borchers guy, and then when the Aaron Andrews thing happened, there were people who took shots at me that were unnecessary, uh, and then I became a globe target. I just became a target of the globe, and unlike others people I worked with who kind of talked a tough game, but wouldn't do anything. I was like, you know, fuck this. I'm going at them. I'm going at Callum Borchers. I'm going at Shirley. I'm going at your guy, Kevin Cohen. I'm My going at people because I find it, you know, I, first of all, it triggers them. It's interesting and it's riveting. You know, I mean, you're, I think on this one, you know, which is fine. I, I like that you have that opinion and the sending opinion is good, but I could tell from the numbers we had on, on, on clip views and stuff like that. People were very into the Cohen episode oh, yeah. absolutely it's just because you know i'm such a huge fan i've heard no, everything you've said about it right. multiple times That's yes i get that we've done it before you know it's a, it's a hit we've played but it's also it's interesting because i thought of that yesterday too where you know there are people who have never heard it before and i do forget that sometimes and to be part of your story yeah and it's a bigger number of people than you think who haven't heard it before which i forget too so it's like you know it, it, it it's it's worth doing but yeah that at that point i kind of went Geez, they're they're doing this to me. They must do this to other people. Um, and then yeah, and it became really more hyper focused on the globe. I think as time went on. Um, last thing before um we we moved to your Barstool career, I just just with your taking on the Red Sox at EEI from ten thousand miles away, which is where I am. I thought there's no way Kirk can win this battle, even though you were right. I mean, they should have turfed the Red Sox every night and put put you on eight hours a day. They'd make much more money. Right. Um, but I thought Kirk's taking on the Red Sox. He's going to lose. I mean, yep. just a matter of time. Did you know that? Yep, for sure. Okay. Well, I knew, well, I knew that once I got suspended for a week. And when I did the thing where I called them pandering vomits mm. from top to bottom and Linda Pizzuti, John Henry, that, that, and that was in that book that we're talking about where we were literally doing 17 and 18 ratings, which are 20 ratings some weeks, which were, it is an insane, unprecedented radio number, basically. And I got called into a meeting and they were going to fire me. And that was in the middle of that. My parents had just died. So it wasn't like, you know, it, it was my time where I felt like I was least likely to be fired. It was pre-Murchison. It was before uh, Bob. So once that happened, I walked out of there. I walked out of that room and I called Mike Mananski that day in... I forget when the way I got suspended for that. It might've been in July, maybe, maybe. And I said to Mutt, I said, this is the beginning of the end. This is before Murchison. Ever. I said, this is not going to end well because I, wrong. I, I don't have the ability. And this is a weakness to just say, you know what? This is somebody I can't fight. They won't let me do it. 
You're getting paid a lot of money. Keep your mouth shut. Be Go at other targets, but you have to leave them alone. I couldn't do it. I couldn't let them win. And by doing that, I let them win in a way because I'm gone now. Now, you know, the product's dead and all that stuff, but the Red Sox don't care. They're fucking loaded. And they got somebody kicked out who gave them shit. It was around this time that they started dumping your audio and your podcast because I used to listen to oh, the podcast. Oh, and right, right, right. From yeah. the KNC show. And then hours were just – right? What? Huge chunks of it, right? Like, yeah, out, like hours would go missing. You know? right, it would, right, it right. would come up hour one, hour two, hour three, hour right. And I would work out, obviously, the best hours were being left out. That was the stuff where you said the most interesting stuff. So that's when I, you know, got a VPN and started listening live right. um, yeah. as much as I could. And especially the first hour was always the best. Less ads. Um, you guys would talk shit about everyone. Um, right. But, you know, I said a lot of that wouldn't get podcasted. A lot of it would go on the app, but I imagine was getting dumped on air. So, mm-hmm. um but that, that's how obsessed I was with you back then. I and, was. They're so, and they're so they're so dumb and short-sighted. What they didn't realize is that galvanized my audience even more against mm. them and with me. And it was like, well, they're fucking this guy over. Why are they – what did he say? What did he say? What did, I would say it again. I'd go on Twitter and say what I said. Or I'd talk, and, and they didn't realize – and, you know, they don't care. I mean, they have no show now that anybody actually cares about. I mean, they have shows that do okay ratings and this and that, but – you're on Twitter. I'm not. You, you never see anybody talk about any of those shows ever. No, no. Doesn't matter. And their live streams are electric. Um, yeah, the live streams are. Yeah, the live streams are great. But so I mean, they what they always wanted, and even when we were doing really well and before Murchison and before the Red Sox rant, they didn't want us really, particularly me, around. They tolerated me because of numbers, but they always wanted. We're looking at ways to get rid of me, and mm. they did. They did. So obviously you're out of EI. Um, I was uh, upset to have you off air, but you know, you're a huge, I was a bit, already a big consumer of a lot of Barstool podcasts. So I was, you know, thrilled you, you were, with, were with Barstool. I thought it was, you know, mm-hmm. match made in heaven and look, it's, it's had a few bumps in the road, but it seems to have smoothed out. Um, I guess, you know, how, how has the podcast sort of developed as you started? I mean, is, is it sort of what you thought it'd be? Well, I always say I thought I wanted to create a world bigger than I did at EI where we did that, and I have. Um, I didn't know quite how we were going to get there because there was some, you know, like Steve, whether you like him or not, when he first, if you listen to Steve at the beginning of the show versus now, he embraces this madness much, 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 much more. And when we started, he didn't really do that, and he wasn't technically proficient really, so I was like, Still we're not. Well, but but that almost is okay with me. Like I almost don't even, I, I find that amusing. Mm. So once, once we did the thing with Steve, with his parents, where he learned to play ball and, and he was okay. And then we brought Mike in and then it became characters and more of that. Then we kind of got, we got going. Um, but for the first week or two, I was like, geez, is this going to be a thing where Steve's going to want expect me to rant and rave about, you know, Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton every day. Cause I'm not going to do that. Um, if a story is interesting, I'll do it. Um, but I knew that I already had a built-in audience that wanted to hear and do my thing. I think they were so relieved because as much as you liked enough about me and I did, enough about me in between the EI show and the Barstool show was very serious. Oh, yeah, and it wasn't as nearly like it, your show now. Right, Not so it was very – but it was an interview format. Um, it was like um, – I was going to say it's like Charlie Rose, but DEC is more like Charlie Rose really um, in every way. But uh, we, you know, I wanted to be have more of the fun that I had on D 
DEI show, but without Jerry, I felt like I could have more fun because Jerry would, would get so fucking serious and do things and he didn't get it and he was a joke behind. So at least with Mike, I have somebody who gets what I'm trying to do and doesn't get in the way and doesn't say, why are we, you know, that whole thing. The show was my creative show entirely, 1,000% that, that entirely mine. And the, and the Mincel guys who, are, who obviously have run the show. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, clearly Phil is a BA or guys, creative guys. Yeah, those fucking cunts. Um, so uh, he, he, he start the, you, you get going, you, you know, was, you're right. It sounded like a sort of starting a car. You know, you're starting the car and, you new know, sort of picked up. What? Yeah, new guys, new yeah. place, new. We were we were at a place that, and I do think the physical location matters, that, that Red 13, they were very nice people, but we knew we weren't there long term. We had to be out of there at a certain time. Um, we were all in the same room that it sounded a little weirder. It was all, yeah, it was strange, but it was, I, mean, but I, I guess as well, you, you know, your concept of building a world means you can't just start and it be there. You actually, you need to create it bit by bit and build characters one at a time and it, mm -hmm. it slowly builds on itself. So I, I can see that, uh, has the, I mean, the, the world's crazy. I was saying on my fantastic show, Menace to Midnight, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, the world has even gone crazier than i thought it would mean i mean the world around the show you know how how was you know, that for you is it sort of gone a bit wilder and different than you thought well i get i get i do get you see listen i get triggered sometimes i get pissed off at these people because there's part of me and you know guys like you and mayo are good like I, they're essential to have people who are critical in the universe i get that but when people i'm when, rarely critical i understand that but um you know like when people didn't understand and were leaving bad reviews and threatening to leave the show when I suspended Steve for a really fireable offense. Um, stuff like that pisses me off. Cause I want to say, I, I almost want to call each one of them individually and say, how do you not fucking understand why I did this? You know, how do you not understand whether you like the hammer or not? And I get people didn't like it. I don't care. But like, how do you not get there are people who are like, I'm never listening to the podcast again. And I'm thinking, but that's why you're a creator and they're a listener. I mean, sure, that's the difference. Know. Yes. You know, part of it, but part of it is I do, I want to grab them each and say, do you understand why I'm, why I want to do this? But they don't. Yeah. That's why it works. That's why it's entertaining. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they don't get yeah. it. They're enjoying yeah. it. They're on for the ride. Right. And we're going to do something here in the next couple of weeks where I think a lot of people are going to say, oh, Jesus Christ, why did you do that? And that's okay. I mean, this is what, this is what I want to do. And, and this is the kind of stuff I had in mind. I mean, you know, um, you know, these parody songs and, 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 and calls and fights and characters and, and like, you know, you said parody accounts and, and battles within universes are all fine. I mean, as long as it's not, you know, fucking stupid, like that idiot intern, Nick, then we're okay. <laughs> fucking dummy. You can imagine what it was like when I woke up in Australia the day you'd suspended Steve. Cause you know, I go to sleep it's and then fault, I, you know, yeah. I woke up and, you're blubbing yeah. your hands. Yeah, like, you know, millions of messages. I mean, it was incredible. And, um, yeah, you know, people really, were like, really it's ground zero, I wake up. I was just getting tons of messages. You have to get up. I'm really happy you got to have that experience. I'm happy you got to get Steve suspended. Well done. Thank you. Um, I'm really happy. You know, I stumble. He's, he's so dumb. I don't even have to go looking. And he just, you know, falls in his own traps. You would uh, miss so, I, I know you would. I know you would miss him. I know you would miss him. Yeah, probably you not. Oh, but I, I, he's, he's, he's okay. He's, he's, you know. Oh, wow. wow. He's okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, my thing is, I think you should have another voice in. Mike drops to the third voice. Okay. So I think Mike's a better third. 
Well, I don't know. You, it's your show. And oh, um, you're a critic of the show. I mean, you can't just. Well, say, I don't know. I don't know who's your option for that second voice. Um, well, I mean, well, look at it this way, Manners. Mike is my second voice right now. So, what do you think my options are? Yeah, not many. Um, but then, then Steve's less on air. Um, so you've thrown around the figure that a hundred thousand people are listening to the show, which well, means, which is probably yeah, which is probably around fifty or sixty k pre-pandemic. Um, Pre-pandemic, so we're really at about thirty k now. I don't know. Um, yeah, that, I, I don't know that, but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely down for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I've as you know, I produce a lot of podcasts, and I can tell you that they're all down a bit. Um, oh, but sure. but but some are holding. Um, but yeah, it's not a it's not a boom time yet, but I think it's coming. But I think a daily, I think a daily, you know, a daily three hour podcast is tough to consume in the middle of a pandemic, and I recognize that. I mean, obviously. Yeah, well, imagine I did that about cricket. People commit suicide. But um, so has the listening audience, though, sort of started to grow, in, in, like within the sort of targets you'd set? Not yeah. Forget what, Erica, yeah. or that, what you said. Oh, sure. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. You know, <clears throat> I, I knew nothing about numbers. They never told me numbers at EEI. When we debuted at number one on iTunes in at Barcelona, I was like, holy shit, we must have, you know, I didn't know. I was like, we must have more listeners than part of my take. Is that possible? And of course I learned that's of course not how iTunes works, but um, you know, I remember after the, a K Marco situation, we had one of our K Marco, K Marco situations. I had talked to Dave briefly and he texted me and said, Hey, just so you know, like the show's doing really well. We're really happy with it. And for Dave to say that he didn't fucking ever say anything. And I remember talking to, I think Clancy and he's like, geez, he's never said that to me. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's growing. Um, <clears throat> you know, this fucks everything up. So I think a year from now, nine months from now, is probably a better conversation about it. But I think when you do things like sell out the Wilbur in two shows in nine minutes, you know, I think at that, and you sell, and I swear to God, I said this, I believe this selling out Madawaska is more impressive than selling out the Wilbur in, in nine minutes and having everybody show up for it in the, in the middle of a blizzard is even more impressive than that. So it's when you started like, a cult, people are right all in. And then when people say, well, we should make Madawaska bigger next year and you think we'll make more money and you think that, no, no, that's not how it works. You keep it limited, small. Again, you keep it an elite event. People are thirsty for it. Then when the weekend's over, you announce the next big show and people are like, holy shit, I want to be part of that because everyone says it's great. That's how you do it. I, I mean, I don't know. That's how I do it. I, I have no idea. I, you know. Well, I think it's working. Um, I think that's a pretty so good tactic. Keep people wanting more. Um, so... On Mayo's show, you know, a couple of things piqued my interest, especially when you said that Steve was your best ever co-worker, mm -hmm. your best ever co-worker. Now, I sort of, I'm sure I heard you say that about Curtis and Ken when you're at EEI or maybe they um, but it, it seems like he's very reliable. I mean, that that is imperative to be there every day. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he can lie, he can be unfunny, um, right. all that kind of stuff. But, Terrible technical producer. Yeah. Yeah. But as long as he's there, um, you know, that's, that's a big quality. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, 80% of it's showing up, but he does, you know, even today we're working on something else and he's texting me all day and he's texting about these clients and he's texting different ideas. I mean, I think you would be impressed with his work ethic. The kid works. Yeah. He's I get that. Kid. He works, you know, he's 30 years old. He works incredibly hard. He never, if I text him right now, he'll text back within 30 seconds. He never says no. He, ne he never, ever, I mean, unless he's going away for three weeks to fucking Europe. But he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't, he, he did Madawaska all by himself. I mean, he. I shouldn't say that. Travis up there helped a lot. But he put it together. He's been in communication with the Wilbur. 
these are not things that producers do. You know, he's more than a producer. And, you know, that's why I would say for sure, sh- for sure. I'm, I'm talking about on air producing sales management. Uh, he's like a real show producer. Like he does everything. <clears throat> he is. He's yeah. He's like a, he's like, yeah, he's, he's like that. And that's why I say he's the best uh, coworker I've ever had for sure. And he's loyal. You know, I mean, he's a fucking. Are you sure guy. about that? I mean, liar, he's, but- he, history of lying. That's true about everything. That's true, that's true, that's true. But so far, I think his intentions are uh, best for the show, and he does care. He's, he's a, like he cares. Like he cares about you know, like Mike today. He cares about Mike, whereas I don't. I'm like I don't fucking give a shit. Like whatever. We'll see you Monday. Like I don't fucking care. That's part of the part of the deal. Steve actually mm. has empathy, which I don't have that for people. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, but I get the feeling that uh, Steve thinks he's like a puppet master sometimes the way he plays with the world. No, oh, not with you, oh. with the world and the minute fans and everything. He's just, he thinks he's sort of above everyone pulling the strings. And right. I do think he thinks that, but I also, okay, think, well, that's good. but he also came from a world where his core audience, his last show was 82 year olds. It, coming from the supermarket, you know, with their fucking soup and listening to Howie Carr. Like he doesn't, I think it for him, I do think for him that started kicking in at the vigil where he was like, he talked about driving. I still remember that we were driving up into, into Sherborne and there was dead stop. There was traffic all the way up this road and, and people were walking up and they were screaming and they had signs and they were waving. And Steve texted me. He was like, Holy shit. He's like, I can't believe this is what this is, what this is. And I said, well, you know, yeah, this is what I had in mind, dummy. Mm. I mean, just fucking idiot. Good writer though. I've written some good books. Yeah. Well, we get that. We've got the subtle um, mm-hmm. you know, message. We've got that message, I think, pretty clearly in the show. So, um, yeah, some are more subtle than others, but yeah. <laughs> uh, can you see you two working together for a long time? Absolutely. I mean, if he wants to, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I shouldn't say that. I think, I think I'm easier to work for than I was a couple of years ago. And I look at Steve, not as an equal, God knows, but certainly more than like, say Mike, like there's a clear, you know, I'm here, Steve's here. And Mike is like almost down. Like if you were standing below the main selling tell. Yeah. He's almost like you, like trying to get on space mountain, (laughs) you know, it's sort of that thing. It's kind of that situation. I uh, yeah, I empathize with him. Then. I can't really see you yet tonight, but I was hoping there'd be a couple of phone books or something you'd be sitting on. But yeah, you think I'm sitting on a chair? Um, <laughs> I um, yeah, I I did a commercial when I was a kid, and um, you know they had to put me on a milk crate because I was so short that really would be out of shot. So I don't know. that's okay. So I'm used to it. Um, I, yeah, I think Steve though needs to do a better job with the YouTube channel. I think that is one area he's maybe a little bit off. So in what um, way? I'm curious. Well, I, I mean, you get, I'm gonna get some manners feedback. And what would you like? Well, uh, I just think he needs to. I think there's too much up there that's off kind of brand. I mean, you know, uh, Super Lemon Haze. I mean, um, which, I'm doing, which, I'm doing, which I'm doing Monday, and I'm dreading. yeah, yeah. He's he's already tweeted that out. Trust yeah, me. Great. Um, he, he's. If if you are at all um, feeling bad that day, take some extra Prozac or something beforehand. <laughs> by the end of the interview, you might throw yourself out of a window. Um, but, yeah, I just think there could be more stuff that sort of fits the brand because if someone – and you used to say this at EI, if someone just clicks onto the YouTube channel and the first thing they see is stonks and stuff, are they ever going to watch another thing there? Probably not. But I think 
I, I think if you're going there right now, you listen to the show. I know what you're saying, but I also like the idea of just throwing a bunch of shit up there and seeing what sticks and seeing who survives. Well, I think there should be health and lifestyle arm. Like the the, the the one that's there and then uh, one where you have kind of side shows. Oh, I and you. if okay. people want to do it, then they can go and do it. And mm. it's two channels. How many shows on the YouTube channel right now would you categorize as good shows? Well, I did a sort of rough count. There's about 25. Okay, six many- of them, six of them, Mike started and then stopped after one right, or two. Right, those don't count, right? Right. Um, so you I, you put your show in the cat in there? No, I think there's probably a good 10 or 12 shows up there that are good. You know, I think, yeah, I think there is. I think, uh, you know, some, you know, I th- even think that some of the shows that like the new one, Pappy's Kitchen, which is more for the sort of Minifan community has a place. That's fine. Um, mind yeah, that. I agree. But, you know, then when you got shows that seem to be just about random stuff, it seems well, off Week's a good show, I think, and that's about something random. Well, yes, that's true. But they're a little bit different because I think a lot of what they talk about is subject matter in the show, like 80s, right. 90s content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's anyway, that, that, that's – um. And my other bit of advice is oh. um, there's a great book called Podcasting for Dummies. I think you should read it because it has all the technical why would, stuff. Oh, well, I need to read that. Yeah, just just to, because if Steve doesn't turn up one day, you, you got blind Mike there and you. Oh, one of you's got a press record. Karan will fly in. He'll, That's he'll true. Do it. He'll, yeah, he'll, he's, 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 believe me, he is dying to do it. Yeah, he, I could tell. He is ready to fly out of the closet and jump in the studio and do it. <laughs> he's ready to go. All right. Um, okay. So we're coming to the end of um, enough about Steve, the okay. reverse enough about me show. Um, what's next for the podcast? You know, what's the next creative step, you know, so it doesn't go stale. It's a good you know, it's a good question. Cause you know, you see these shows and after our, our show is different. Like, you know, I always say part of my take, well, part of my take brings in somebody new every show, whether you like the guest or not like the guest, you know, they bullshit for a little bit. Then they bring in, I guess, I mean, like in a perfect, perfect world, I would like to add another character on the show, if not an everyday basis, as sort of a floating person who checks in, checks out, maybe does some stuff for us offsite, but can pop in once or twice a week for an hour and fit right in. That I would like. Is that going to happen? I don't know. Could that be Mike if somebody else steps up? You know, definitely possible. Um, but I, I, you know, that, that I think is probably the next thing, um, which of course at first everybody would hate and then everybody wouldn't hate after a while if that, if he or she is, or they is good. And then, you know, we go from there, but I have thought about that a lot, which is that it would be nice to have, even if it's twice a week for 45 minutes, they just jump in and we shit around, you know, I think that'd be an interesting dynamic and element to add to it. Yeah, like Big Cat's been doing that a bit over the phone. Yeah, in the last couple of weeks, which has been good. But I mean, but I mean, that's not. I mean, I'm not depending on Big Cat to be on twice a week. I mean, no. it was actually part of the okay oh of, of the show. You know, a an employee of the show who you know, like in a perfect world, you know, in a perfect world, uh, one of these interns would have had the initiative or the talent to be that person. Clearly, that's not happened. No, so it just hasn't nothing against those guys they are all nice guys. They try hard, but you know, you find people and I will say that's where Dave is great. You know, he finds people, you know, Brandon Walker, whether you like him or not, you know, guys like KB, just random guys who fit into their, you know, Roan or Che or whoever, you know, Karab, whoever it is. 
uh, Dave can find those guys and find a place for them and match them with people that naturally fit, or they just become friends and they try something on their own. So um, I, I would think maybe in the next year or so or whatever, three, whatever I'm looking, I'm always looking. So, yeah. Okay. I actually think that, and this is, I think you should try and get occasionally on the phone for a chat, Ellie Schnitt, um, not just for DC. I know he'd love it, mm-hmm. uh, but I think she's actually underrated smart. She's one of the smart ones at yeah. Barstool. And I, you had her on, right? And well, I, yeah, you had her on once, but I just think you could work on the dynamic between you two. Yeah. You know, she, she gets it. She gets it. She's very good. Have you ever heard a show? No, no, no. But when I had her on I, and I talked to her at Barstool, I was like, oh, she she understands what's going on. She knows what this all is. Mm, yeah, she's, yeah, she's smart. smart she, she's not. She's smarter than what she portrays. But I think she mm. does that, which is also smart. She has an audience. Yeah. I just think you could get her on occasionally. Get yeah. your daughter on. Um, DC, I said, would love it. Yeah. Um, I, I guess you want someone that's actually going to give you something to react to. Like, I feel like Mike is a bit passive. Like. I don't know if, if if I was in there, you know, maybe one day I'd come in pissed off about something. Sure, that'd and, be nice. You know, tell you to fuck off. I mean, that'd be nice. you know, that would be nice. You know, and, and but like Mike never does that. He's just like, okay. But again, you guys go. That's like asking. That's like asking me to be like the way he is, though. It's just not the way he is. And no. when you hire somebody without really knowing them, you know, there are plenty of things about Mike that are great, and there are plenty of things about Mike that you know I don't love, but. When you when you jump in and hire somebody right away, you learn those things. The key is like, <clears throat> so you listen to the to today's show, definitely. So I thought we had a very funny right. caller on named Ted, who is the kid in the wheel. Oh yeah, absolutely. He was great. The 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 guy, the disabled gentleman. Yeah, yeah. funny guy, fun, funniest funny. guy you've had on for ages. Yeah, and Steve kind of joked around to Mike that oh boy, Mike's upset because Ted's much funnier than he is. And it was clearly a joke. And Mike actually took it seriously. It was like well, because it was true. That's <laughs> well, that's true. But he was sort of like, you know, why are you saying that? Why are you saying that? As opposed to saying, you know, fuck you, Steve. You're not fucking funny. You fucking suck. Why are you <laughs> say something funny, Steve? Be funny. Fight it back. But like go and then it becomes this sort of thing where I'm like, I'm getting mad at him. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So then as I'd like to see you're right. I'd like to see Mike come in one day. It doesn't have to be like, fuck you to me. And if he wants it to be, or fuck you to Steve, it's more like, Jesus Christ. Uh, this fucking thing I read yesterday, Kirk, you start the show every day. Shut up for a minute. I got, I got this. Yeah. Happened. And, and I might get back at him, but then we're off to the races where he says, geez, I read this or somebody said this to me or this happened to me. But in, but I think it's also, you know, he's a guy who is not, you know, he sees me come in every morning. He's like, well, all right. You know, I, you know, I think there's some of that and some of that's on me. Yeah, and he's also a Minifan fan that's now on the show. I think, True. but I mean, still we're, part of that. We're, we're, we're near a year in, so I think. Oh yeah, yeah, he has to get over it. I mean, that, that, to is, get over that it. doesn't that doesn't work anymore. And you mm. know, good the last couple of weeks today. I, today he ran into me in a particularly foul mood, and I took a lot of it out on whoever was in the room, and that can happen. Mm. He's also got to learn. You know, he could call Chris Curtis or Mike Manansky, and they would say this was nothing compared to the lashings they would get. I yeah, think. yeah, I remember. Um. You know, you said to Mayo that you feel like you've already been defiant, you know, that pe- your definition is out there. I guess, what do you think that definition is and what part do you hate the most? <clears throat> well, I hate that it's, I hate that it's defined. I, I hate that it exists like that. Um, it is, you know, not even like shock jock, but just like, like this weird, and I don't, I don't really know why. And I, this sort of conservative, um, 
you know, anti whatever, whether it's transgender or, you know, whatever sort of, or this guy who is, you know, the Julie, the Carl angle or the Shirley angle. I guess that's why it was defined that way where, I mean, and I know it's a lot of it's because I work with Jerry, but. And Dennis. And John. Um, but we got bigger in social media when Jerry and I were doing it because we have these battles. Um, and it's just, the only thing that frustrates me is it's just like, none of it's true. Like the exact, like I just have a record of it not being true. I mean, but, they, but it doesn't matter. Like, I, you know, and I've gotten over it where I could go and say, I've said this before. If you go back to when um, North Carolina was passing that transgender bill in the state, Jerry and I fought every single day for weeks on it. I mean, and you know, the Jerry you're seeing now on social media is much closer to the Jerry you would see during commercials. You know, he is a really, he's a much harder right winger than he was on the air. Um, I don't think, I mean, I don't think he's racist like people say, but he's a super right winger. And we'd fight about this stuff. I vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not voting for Donald Trump in November. I voted for in California for, you know, gay, gay rights in 2000, whatever it was five or six. I don't, there's no, there's, there's no history of it. I, it's silly. And, and that, so that frustrates, but I've also gotten over it. I don't, you know, there's not, there's nothing, there's literally nothing you can do about that. Nothing short of actually transitioning. There's nothing I can, <laughs> even then I think the people would say, it was just doing it just, just because, you know, you just, you've got the, He's you've like, got the you, figure. You've got the figure to transition. That would be bad. Yeah. Uh, but, do yeah. you regret those, I guess, not playing the game a bit more? I mean, you know, trying to keep some of these medium, like, you know, get a few people in the media on your side so at least they can put out the counter argument. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I don't have, it's not quite true, but I really don't have a single friend in the media anymore. And that's okay. Like, that's really okay. Because, like, what good does that do if they, so they keep my name? So great. Some guy writes an op-ed somewhere. It says I'm a nice guy. Doesn't change anything. You know, it's like when I had to apologize for Aaron Andrews. I did it, but I was like, this is toothless. It's not going to change the the dynamic at all. I'm even not even really like, I'm frankly sick of saying I'm, I feel bad that it happened. I feel bad at that, but I'm over it now. Like it was fucking, I'm, you know, I'm barely sorry at this point. You know, I said it, it was dumb. Life goes on. Yeah, absolutely. We all make mistakes. All right, well, Kirk, that is the end of Enough About Steve. Thank you so much for coming on the show and being so giving and, and talking so much and giving up so much of your time. I really appreciate it. Um, do you think it's funny that you've got an obsessed Aussie fan or a few of them? I like it. Well, so the other guy's dead, I heard? I uh, just made, You missed Justin having an all-time shocker. Oh, I yeah. made a joke that I hadn't heard from him since he wished him brain cancer. And, you know, he's a, he's actually now a registered train driver. And I just said, you know, I hope he's not under a train that somewhere. He's a train driver, yes. I remember hearing that. That is funny. He's okay, though? Yeah, he's 100% fine. But Justin was like, oh, don't joke about Kirk making someone oh, depressed. And I'm like, fuck uh, off, Justin. How do you know? How do you know him? Uh, just through you, he just messaged me. Oh, that, oh, that's oh, it's that, yeah, 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 just through that. And well, um, there's another one in Adelaide. There's a few out here. Um, but yeah. we, we've got to we've got to get you to come here. I um, mean, when this well, is all over, a family out there. I don't like to. I'm not a huge fan of flying, so that might be an issue. But I'll I'll get over it if you guys put together a live show. We will be there. It, it's not that far. It's from Boston to LA. What six, seven hours, yeah. and then from LA to Sydney, it's just 14, 15 hours. I mean, it's that's easy. And if you're in first class, it'll that's just breeze by, you know. That's true. Um, There's really no, yeah, yes. But yeah, no, uh, like I said, you're doing, I've told you, you're doing a great job. I enjoy it. I, the only critique I gave you early on was 
Don't worry about the phone. Like let the let the answer the phone, but then get to your point because your point is more interesting than the callers nine time out nine times. That's why you have a show nine times out of ten. Yeah, and last night I hardly took calls and just rambled about the shitty shows on the YouTube. So I took your advice, Kirk. I took your advice. And if you want someone just to sort of have some, I guess, quality control over the YouTube, um, you know, I'm more than happy to help. Oh, okay. I appreciate that. Yes, I, I'll probably, yeah, at some point, definitely reach out for that. All right. Well, um, thanks for um, coming on the show and thanks for being a huge influence on me. Uh, I've learned a lot from you and, um, you know, I really appreciate it. You're a genius. All right, buddy. Anytime. Hang out. Hang in there. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you, buddy.